you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ and Bucky back with you. Buck, how heck are you doing, man? you have a good Christmas? A nice little uh, time with the family yeah, there? Yeah, look at... Uh, yeah, it was great, man. The like, holiday is always a good time to reminisce, to give gratitude and express thanks and to have everyone around. It's, all, it's a great, great time. Yeah, I was thinking about you because my present, the, the you know, we kind of, as you get older, like you don't really need much. Um, mm-hmm. So my present that I got this year was a gift card to Ruth's Chris. And I thought, oh, this is Bucky's dream. This is Bucky's dream Christmas right oh, here. Oh, man, come on, man. That's uh, it. You know, Bucky, you go that to the combine, post it. up, and he's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do at least two or three uh, right, minutes when you go to the combine. Like, that's that's it. But if you ever want, if you're ever looking for an encounter with Bucky Brooks, need an autograph, a picture, maybe you got some old Bills merch you want to get autographed. Uh, Indianapolis <laughs> Combine, go to Roos Chris, you'll find Bucky uh, posted up there. It's a very good chance uh, you'll be able to reel that in. Um, all right, Buck, let's get to what happened last night. It's time for the Monday Night Recap. We're going to get into a bunch of these games, but we got to start, first of all, with the last one of the week, which was the... To me, the headliner. Um, you can talk about the Chiefs and their collapse. That's a storyline for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, the story of the weekend was the Ravens bullying the bully, going into San Francisco and just beating the stuffing out of the 49ers. So here, here's the thing about the Baltimore Ravens-San Francisco 49ers matchup. It was hailed as a Super Bowl preview, and it very, it very well may be a, a preview to what we see in the Super Bowl in the middle of February. But you know, I, I think the narrative coming in, because San Francisco had kind of bullied so many different teams, it was almost as if that we forgot that Baltimore has, what, two, three decades of a, a, of a bully ball reputation that this is what they do to teams <laughs> and this is how they've always won their big games. And look, I made a mistake because I fully expected the Niners to handle the Ravens. I thought they had uh, a more complete team in terms of like all facets of the team functioning. But that reputation and that mindset, like when you kind of challenge Baltimore, they're like, a, they're like three types of guys, right? They're guys that run from the fight, they're guys who reluctantly fight, and then they're guys that run to the fight. The Baltimore Ravens are the guys that run to the fight. So they embrace this kind of encounter. They embrace taking on the 49ers in their environment. They embrace playing a very physical style of football. And to me, I was surprised because I felt like the Niners backed down. Yeah, the interceptions and the turnovers and all that played a part, but I felt like the Niners have always gone forward against so many teams, kind of imposed their will on opponents. But I didn't see the same vigor. I didn't see the same edginess against the Baltimore Ravens because maybe they saw a team that would punch back, unlike some of the other teams that they faced along the way. Yeah, I tell you what, I don't know if you saw the comments after the game from Patrick Queen. I don't know, uh, Drew, do we have that? Do we have that audio Mm -hmm. on that? We play a brand of football that people don't want to play. Uh, everybody don't want to be out here cute playing basketball on grass and stuff, and we ain't with all that. So you can do all that stuff, you're just going to hit in the mouth every play, honestly. Um, you know, we could care less about all the pretty stuff we do, gimmick stuff. You just got a lot of, you still got a lot of play football, you still got to get touched. So um, that's our mindset. That's how we want to come out and just, you know, hit people in the mouth. 
Yeah, you still got to get touched. Uh, that's that's pretty apt description right there. I mean, I wish I wish you could bottle that up, Buck, and, and share it with your high school team. I wish college coaches listen to this. That's the message. Like, hey, the whole world, you know, from shoot from high school to college, the NFL has gone to it's a space mm-hmm. and speed game, right? Let's get out in space. Let's get to our speed and let's let them go. Basketball on grass, whatever you want to call it. And Baltimore said, yeah, it's still there's a time and place. Or you got to see me. You, you know, there's going to be physical confrontation. There's going to be physical battles. And as you mentioned, they don't they don't shy away from that. They never have. And I, I thought they were uniquely positioned to match up with this 49er team. And going back to the game, you could see it. Um, Buck, you saw a lot of uh, a lot of three deep stuff, uh, three deep, four under, and then the middle of the field is closed. And, and the 49ers live in the mm-hmm. middle of the field. They live in the middle of the field with tight ends. They live in the middle, middle of the field with their receivers. They like to get the ball to their backs. Um, that's their, their space. Now, Brock Purdy actually made some nice throws out to the perimeter, some of the better throws I've seen him make this year on the mm-hmm. outside, uh, trying to adjust to that a little bit. They hit Kittle a couple times early. Uh, and then after that, they just kind of, Baltimore just shut it down. And then as, as we always talk about on here, you love to say it, tips and overthrows will get you. And, uh, and that was a big factor in Brock Purdy's four interceptions. I, I think both of these things can be true. In social media, it's hard to convey this message. You're not going to get it out in the character limitation there. But I, I, I still believe Brock Purdy is, should still be alive for the MVP. Everybody else has kind of mm-hmm. buried him after this game. He had a bad game. He's still up there statistically with just about everybody. I think he's a he's a really, really good fit in this system. He's played at a really high level. Mm-hmm. That can be true. The other thing that can be true is this team is not built to come from behind because Brock Purdy does not have the arm to be able to beat defenses when everybody in the stadium knows you're going to throw the ball. That's the whole thing about the Shanahan system. Everything looks the same. You come off that, he can, he can diagnose. He gets to his reads quickly. He gets the ball out there with anticipation and accuracy. When there's no threat of the run, when they don't honor your run fakes, the ball is going to have to beat defenders. And I don't know. He's never had that big arm, didn't have that big arm coming out. And I tweeted out, I don't know if you what, what you thought of it. My thing was, when you saw Sam Darnold go in that game, and I watched, the, watched it back this morning on tape, mm-hmm. that's a different level. There's a reason why one guy was the third pick and one guy was Mr. Irrelevant. Not saying that, you know, Brock's been a much better quarterback, mm-hmm. much, much better quarterback than Sam Darnold. Right. But when you're trailing mm-hmm. in a game where you have to throw the football, Sam Darnold has an arm strength to be able to do that, whereas Brock Purdy, I think that's a question mark that's going to hang out there. So, DJ, there's this huge debate, right? It, it exists on the Twitterverse. It started when Cam Newton talked about it. We've done our own version where we talked about uh, trucks and trailers. Cam Newton used game managers versus game changers, and everyone was up at arms. But what it is is a very nuanced conversation about the levels of talent that play the position. And there's some guys that have a, a different level of talent that makes them uniquely positioned to change the game based on not only what they can do inside the structure of the offense, but what they also can add. Sometimes that's athleticism. Sometimes that's arm talent where you can change uh, arm angle. You have special talent like Matthew Stafford would fall in that category in terms of his arm ability, his arm talent is game changing. Other guys, everything has to be right. The way you manage them and you operate the team, the way that you understand how to distribute and get the ball to the playmakers is that it's almost like having two different types of point guards, right? The guy who is the high assist guy versus the scoring guard. Both are effective, both are functional, but there's a cap on each of them. And so when we talk about Brock Purdy in comparison to Lamar Jackson in this game, you can see the ceiling on Brock Purdy. When the team got behind and they had to play a traditional drop back style of ball, Brock Purdy doesn't have like 
the unique talents to then say, hey, I'm just going to will it with my arm talent. Whereas a guy like Lamar Jackson, it may be utilize his athleticism, his feet, his playmaking ability, his ability to extend the, the, the play, all of those things, much like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen are able to do in their own unique ways. And so it's not being disrespectful to Brock or any of the other guys that fall into those categories, but it's a nuanced discussion talking about just the differences between the levels of elite in this league. Yeah, no, it's, again, I think it's a, it's a complex, complicated conversation. It's not all or nothing. It's not Brock Purdy's the best, Brock Purdy's the worst. Brock Purdy's an MVP caliber quarterback. And I do think if they win their last couple games and Baltimore were to slip up, I think he's, he's, he's got a right to be in that discussion. His stats are going to be there. He's a perfect fit. Um, it reminds me, again, kind of looking at that Drew Brees setup when Drew Brees was rolling. That's, that's mm-hmm. the way Brock Purdy's playing the game, like Drew Brees. Drew Brees is not going to you know throw the ball through a wall. But his superpower was being able to see things, diagnose things, and get the ball uh, where it needs to be, and that's that's what Brock Purdy has done. So, anyways, it's a, it's an interesting discussion. Lamar, on the other hand, the stats don't you know blow you away, Buck. But when you're watching it, mm-hmm. it's just at some point in time, it's just kind of like the eyeball test of my eyes tell me that he's different than everybody else out on the field, and he makes this whole thing work. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing about Lamar Jackson. Here's maybe why I slept on the Baltimore Ravens. Coming on the heels of watching the Ravens up close and personal, uh, watching their offense, it it, kind of reminded me a bit like playing the video game, right? So when you're playing the video game and you have the quarterback and your quarterback is faster than everybody else, sometimes you just kind of move around and just wait for your guys to uncover or you just take off and run. I feel like for Baltimore, that's kind of like what they have in their pocket. They're not using Lamar Jackson like he was used previously. They do on occasion, yeah, they'll pull the zone read to do some design quarterback runs. But a lot of his runs now are coming on scramble plays. And what that does is that puts a different uh, pressure on the defense because now you're scared to play man-to-man because if he takes off, you're talking about explosive chunk plays on the ground. If you play zone, that's fine. But now when he moves around, how disciplined can you be to plaster the wide receivers on the perimeter? And in a way, he is doing what Pat Mahomes has done the last few years in terms of buying time, but he's doing it, I would say, as a better athlete. And so it now has made the Ravens' mm-hmm. offense dangerous and maybe more difficult to defend, even though I would say schematically, it's still very simple, but his ability to pick up yardage as a drop back passer as opposed to the primary runner changes the equation and really flips the script for how defensive coordinators have to defend this offense. Yeah, and they have a lot of different weapons. And they've never had this many weapons. And, you know, even when you have the injury to Mark Andrews, they've done a nice job of spreading that ball around. It's the best receiving core I think that they've had uh, for sure since Lamar's been there. It might be the best receiving core they've ever mm-hmm. had there. Um, so a lot of talent around him. One thing about the Ravens, they've won seven games by 14-plus points this year. Uh, so they are, uh, they're not just winning. They're hammering teams and some good teams along the way. Um, all right, let's stay to a team that uh, uh, is very much in that discussion as the best team in football. The Ravens might have staked their claim, but the team they're going to see this next week at home, uh, that's the discussion. And that's the Miami Dolphins coming off a big win over the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Got to have it game, especially when you look at the schedule. They go to Baltimore next, mm-hmm. uh, and they finish up the season against Buffalo. So it is a very, very tough road. The playoffs have already started for Miami, and they got a big one here against the Cowboys with that win. Yeah, that no, was a big win. It was a big win because these are two teams that we really wondered uh, who could kind of change their style to kind of get ready to play for these uh, pressurized environments that they're going to have to face 
coming down the stretch. And so the Miami Dolphins were able to kind of stay within themselves. Look, they're cute and creative. They do all that stuff, but they can run the football. And then defensively, they're becoming a much better team on defense. But offensively, it's the speed and explosiveness, the weapons that they have on the outside, starting with Tyreek Hill and then going to Jalen Waddle, and then all the speed that they have in the backfield, they can produce explosive plays in a variety of ways. And you saw down the stretch when they were down, they had to have a two minute drive. It didn't mean that they had to throw it over the top. It's throwing a little quick pass out to Tyreek Hill. He makes two or three guys move and a five yard pass goes to 15 to 20 yards in a hurry. That puts tremendous amount of pressure on the defense because your ability to tackle in space is going to be tested early and often. And if you can't get those guys to the ground, it makes for a long day. Yeah, they have five guys with a catch over 18 yards in this game. And when you watch it, one of the things that I wrote down when I was watching it this morning, the timing and the trust. You know, it's hard to have one without the other, right? And Tua Tagovailoa, those bang eights that they're throwing, which to me is hilarious when you watch them, mm -hmm. Tyreek Killbuck has to gear down. Like, you want to hit that thing. You think about, I think about our colleague Michael Irvin, like kind of him and Troy Aikman made that mm -hmm. route famous. Uh, with hitting that, that, that skinny post, that bang eight, where the back foot ball is gone. Tyreek has to gear down off the line and kind of pace himself because he's going to get to the top of the route too fast. But, but their timing is beautiful. To a back foot, bam, ball's gone. You can't defend that. I mean, you can speak to it as somebody who's played both positions, corner and wide out. When you have that type of timing and a perfect ball and you have the speed and the explosiveness of somebody like Tyreek Hill, what do you do? What are you going to do on that? And if they're not going to hit that, then they're going to end up, he's going to push you, and he's going to curl up at about 20 yards after he's just poured on the speed to run you out of your pedal. It's just like th these completions are there anytime you want them. And I watched this tape right after I watched the Kansas City Chiefs tape, and mm -hmm. that's another conversation uh, we can have later. Mm -hmm. But it was it was so drastic, the difference between the offenses, the space that the speed creates. And it's not just him, it's Waddle. Uh, Cedric Wilson did a nice job in this game. Robbie Chosen got one for 19 yards as well. Um, you feel you feel the speed. And when you combine the speed with the timing and the accuracy, um, I know the Ravens said, you know, everybody likes to play basketball on grass and we're going to punch you in the mouth. That when they play at, at mm -hmm. the level that they played at when they needed it with Miami, again, 22 points doesn't light up the scoreboard. But when you mm -hmm. need it, man, I'm looking forward to that matchup. Fast forward to next week. Yeah, it's interesting because that contrasting style will challenge the Baltimore Ravens in a different way than the San Francisco 49ers did. But what you talk about when it comes to Tyreek Hill and Tua Tungvaloa and Jalen Waddle, that bang eight. So you gave credit to Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin. I'm going to take it back to the team that you currently were for the, the Chargers. So I came into the league, Charlie Joyner, who played with the Air Coriel Chargers mm -hmm. with Dan Fouts. Uh, Don Coriel was the uh, head coach. He was my first position coach with the Buffalo Bills. He openly discussed how he and Dan Fouts could throw that route blindfolded. He talks about the timing of the route makes it where it's unguardable. If you look at the dimensions of the football field, he says you line up in the middle of the numbers, you run to the bottom of the numbers, which is the side closest to the sideline. You hit that at about 10 to 12 yards and you make an angle where you should catch that ball 21 yards down the field, one yard on top of the numbers, and it is unstoppable depending on the leverage of the corner. And the complement to that is the speed out. So the corner can never be right. Mm -hmm. If you playing the bang eight, they're going to throw the speed out on you all day. If you're hanging on the speed out, they're going to hit you with the bang eight. And what you're seeing, because of Tyreek Hill's speed, people are afraid to press him. They're playing off. 
Tua Tagovailoa throws on time and on target, and it really has made this route unstoppable for the Dolphins. And the speed that they have overall has made this offense one where you can have a distributing point guard to a tongue of Iloa, play at a high level because his job is to get the ball in the hands of playmakers and those playmakers let it work. So when we talk about game managers and all those other things, it's not necessarily about that. It's the weapons around you allow you to elevate your game and your job is just to get the ball to the hands of the playmakers and get out the way. So I want to get to the Cowboys side of this thing. You know, much has been said and Cowboys aren't beating good teams, right? They beat the Eagles and outside of that, not much. I actually left feeling okay about this. You know, again, this is kind of a, you know, we'll see what the seating mm. looks like. They're in the tournament. They're going to be in the playoffs. This is a this is a this is an impressive showing for me. You lose by two points. Dak played a pretty clean game. Now they heated him up. They got some pressure on him. Bradley Chubb in that defense with Vic Fangio did some nice things. But CeeDee Lamb, you see him on the highlights here, six for a buck eighteen. Um you know, they didn't run the ball maybe quite as well as they would have liked to, but I thought the defense hung in there as best they could. Again, you hold the Dolphins to 22 points. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, it's 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 a two-point game against a really, really good team on the road. I left this game feeling fine about the Cowboys. I think they're still a very dangerous team uh, once you get in the playoffs. It's just provided they don't play the Niners, the one team they don't match up with. Yeah, no, look, I, I think you should feel good about it because, let, let's be honest, they had an opportunity. They were up. Uh, in the waning moments of the game. This is exactly how Dallas probably wanted the game to play out. The whole of the Miami Dolphins to 22 points, that is a win. This is a team that is capable of hanging 40 burgers on everybody. So if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you feel good about certain parts of it, but the running game or the lack thereof is a concern. We talk about Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard admittedly talked about the slow start to the season coming off of that leg and those things. Um, You have to be able to run the football when you want to in the postseason. And so the Cowboys have to find a way to work on that over the next two weeks to get ready for the tournament. They have to be able to run the football so they can't become, so they don't become a one-dimensional team in the postseason. Look, it's not necessarily the rushing yards. It's the attempts because the attempts allow you still to utilize play action, still control the game and dictate the terms to the defense as opposed to being in a 100% dropback game where now they can play pressure or coverage and they dictate to the offense. No doubt. Um, uh, let's let's get to this next one here. Lions, Vikings. Lions win. They uh, they win the division for the first time. What since ninety three? I think it was. It's been a long time. You see it on the screen yeah. right there. Nineteen ninety three. Um, lot lot of different ways they can go with this. I, I would just say this. You know, Jameer Gibbs has been awesome. A couple touchdowns in this game. Eighty yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty receiving. Kirby Joseph had two picks. This is second year in a row. He's a young player. He's 23 years old. Second mm-hmm. year in the league. He had four picks last year. He's got four picks this year. Amon Ross St. Brown goes 12 for a buck 06. He just keeps doing his thing. To me, when you're looking at who's going to get hired in these coaching cycles, Buck, one of the things, you know, you can look at overall success of the team or the yardage, all this kind of stuff that you're having on either side of the ball and leadership and hear all these things. To me, if you're hiring a coach, Find out who's playing young players and the young players are playing well. And I'm not just talking about first-round picks. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about getting guys on the field Mm -hmm. that are third, fourth, fifth-round picks that are productive because it tells me that you've got guys that not only how to put put a plan together, but you've got guys that know how to develop. That's like, to me, that's the ace in the hole in this league right now. When you don't have as much time, who are the elite teachers in this game Mm -hmm. that can take what you give them and make them better? And to me, Dan Campbell and that staff – we know a bunch of those coaches on the offense and defensive side of the ball. It's not just one or the other. It's both. Um, mm-hmm. But they should be candidates because they have got young guys on the field and they're playing lights out. 
Yeah, look, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Dan Campbell and that staff. That staff, um, it was a lot made of this. That staff is loaded with a bunch of former players. You think about Mark Brunel and mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Aaron Glenn. Uh, and Aaron Glenn and so many other guys, Hank Fraley and so many other guys that are working with them. So those young guys have done a really good job of helping those guys grow from newbies to learning how to play and crafting it. But DJ, I think it even goes beyond that. I think if you're thinking about Ben Johnson or one of the other guys on the staff, I think you need to dig into their personnel department and talk to Ray Agnew and some of those Mm -hmm. other guys because the pairing of the general manager and the coach we're now seeing how important it is for everyone to be on the same page. Brad Holmes has brought a bunch of like draft picks to the table. Dan Campbell has been willing to take those young picks and put them on the field. And that stuff has worked. And we've talked about the, the need to have the synergy between the front office and the coaching staff. If you're going to be a draft and develop team, a draft and develop franchise, Everybody has to be on the same page. And when I look at Detroit Lions, and each week we talk about the rookie output score and how many of those times those guys have been on the list and not just the first rounders, it is a franchise uh, philosophy that we're going to play the young players and everyone is on board and the Detroit Lions have been rewarded for that. Yeah, and on uh, on Amon Ross St. Brown Buck, um, and I was looking at like, man, what makes him what makes him so good? So I went through and watched a bunch of him this morning. Um, a couple things, we, you know, we talk about the strength, we talk about the toughness. Um, we know what he can do after the catch, mm-hmm. but the the spatial awareness that he has working in zones, and it it sounds it's kind of one of those things you see it. It's harder to explain, but if you watch Cooper Cup, and you're mm-hmm. going to say what makes Cooper Cup great, you can watch him putting guys in a blender when when they're in man coverage. To me, the superpower is just that feel and understanding of making yourself big and being a nice target uh, to your quarterback. And it's not like it's it's hard it's hard to explain it, but when you have a defender here and a defender there, instead of being at the 60-40 line, like I'm 60% away from this mm. defender, I'm 40% closer to this one. Like that would be great. He is 50-50 every single time. Like he knows how to create the most space possible between defenders and that's it's like a basketball thing. I you know, I don't know where the background is there, where that comes from, but he has an unbelievable feel working in those zones. Okay, DJ, we've talked about this, and we've talked about building teams. And I think you talked about when you worked for the Ravens, you guys talked about smart, tough, talked about instincts of instincts mm-hmm. and those things. I think uh, sometimes uh, intelligence, football intelligence, and what I would call book smarts, I think they both are underrated. And I think when you have smart guys, smart guys have the tendency to be able to figure it out. And I think for Amon Rice St. Brown, if you understand the background and the pedigree and having to learn all the different languages and how mom and dad really pushed all of uh, the St. Brown brothers to, to learn at a high level, I am not surprised that he understands how to figure it out because smart guys can make the coach right when the coach is wrong. He may call the wrong play, but smart guys understand how to figure it out. So when you talk about the awareness, DJ, some of that awareness is in a field. But a lot of that awareness comes from studying and understand where the holes mm-hmm. are going to be, being able to anticipate where the areas will be. So now you're on the same page with the quarterback and Jerry Goff has a comfort level in knowing, hey, I can trust that this guy's going to be at the right spot. Uh, even if we get it wrong initially, he'll help me out. That trust allows Goff to keep coming to him over and over again in the clutch. So we can talk about toughness and physicality and all those things, effort. But man, intelligence is an underrated aspect to having a lot of success in the league. And I think Amon Ross St. Brown has that intelligence that you're looking for, football intelligence, as well as book smarts. 
Yeah, that's a great point, bringing up all the languages that he learned, too. I remember learning about that through the process when he was going through the recruiting thing. His brother obviously played at Stanford. This is a smart, smart family. He's a smart dude, uh, and it shows up on the grass for sure. All right, they're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to jump into some more of these games. It was a great weekend of football. We'll get to uh, some more of those ball games right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Back here with Bucky. And uh, Buck, we'll go through some more of these games, including uh, a couple that we were at. We can start here with the, uh, the one I witnessed on Saturday. Uh, Peacock, by the way. How was that experience? Did you get a chance to pull up, uh, pull up the Peacock app and check that thing out, Buck? I, I, I did get a chance to see a little bit of the game. I was nice. Uh, you guys jumped out. The Chargers jumped out. Yeah, it was different. It's different. It's a different experience. It's, it's so many different ways to consume football these days. You're just trying to get your, your arms around it. Yeah, it was a, a game. It was actually a fun game to call after the week before where the Raiders uh, ran the Chargers out of the gym. The, uh, this was a, a competitive game. Uh, Giff Smith had uh, taken over as the interim head coach. I thought he had these guys ready to go. They played hard. Easton Stick actually, for the second week in a row, made some nice throws, mm -hmm. used his legs in this one, uh, ran the ball pretty well. It was uh, enough to show that I think he's a competent, capable backup quarterback. So happy for him on the Chargers side of things. But this is, this is about the Bills. They're 9-6 and six now. Uh, this is a team that now is in the tournament, just, just need to handle their business uh, coming down the stretch. Josh Allen didn't have a, a, a super, you know, blow you away game, but Buck, the explosive plays were still there, and he found them through Gabe Davis in this one, who had been kind of missing in action. He hit, he hit him on a go ball. He extended plays, made things happen. Um, I think Joe Brady's done a nice job with this offense since he's taken over, and one of the things I was thinking of is – Okay, Josh, Josh has got a zillion touchdowns, you know, passing and rushing. He had two rushing touchdowns in this one, uh, as, well as, uh, as well as a passing touchdown. I think it's like his 11th game where he's had at least uh, one rushing, one passing touchdown, which is an NFL record. But when we think about him getting himself in trouble with turnovers, right, that's been the issue. So their vertical game, their vertical pass game has been on the outside. Take your shots on go balls, double moves. Um, let him try mm -hmm. and be aggressive on the outside because there's no trouble out there. And then outside of that, you know, hey, use your legs, make some things happen, try and get the run game going a little bit. James Cook did fumble twice in this one. That's something he's going to have to clean up. Um, but I think they found a way to still be dynamic, explosive, without maybe putting the ball in as much risk. He did have the one pick. Um, but that, to me, I think is an adjustment from Joe Brady instead of trying to jam everything uh, into tight windows into the middle of the field. Yeah, you have to know your personnel. And I think knowing the personnel is knowing what the quarterback does really, really well. And what Josh Allen always has is his unique superpowers, his ability to not only run it, not only his superior arm talent, but his ability to buy time and improvise and do those things. So it's funny, you talked about the one-on-one -on -one coverage on the outside taking the goal balls, but DJ, how about when he scrambles and takes the deep shot down the boundary? It's yeah. His ability to, yep. to stress the defense um, as, as a dual threat playmaker. And so when we talk about game changers, like I'm not saying that every game changer has to have athleticism, but man, in today's game, when your quarterback is athletic and can extend plays and buy time, it allows you to put so much stress on the defense 
horizontally and vertically because, man, he makes them have to hang with the people. You don't know if I stick with my man. Do I go chase the quarterback? And then as soon as I just kind of peek at him, he'll throw it right over my head. And that's what Josh Allen has been able to do. And in a league where explosive plays typically leads to points, you have to be able to generate those chunk plays. And Josh Allen's improvisational skills allows the Buffalo Bills to do it. And lastly, this is what we say. Josh Allen didn't play great most of the game. But guess what, man? When he has to take it over, he has the ability to say, you know what, guys? I got this. I'll put it on my back and I'll figure it out. DJ, that is what every franchise is looking for from their quarterback. You need a quarterback that can do that because it's too hard in this game to always get the play calls right. Sometimes you want your quarterback to be able to erase some of your mistakes and make it look good on the back end. The game on the line, Chargers go cover zero. Um, they get pressure on Josh Allen. What does he do? Kind of a Mahomes-type move where he just retreats and buys time that way. The Chargers miscommunicate the bunch uh, in the release. They end up popping uh, popping free. But if, if Josh Allen is going to just hang in there back foot and try and throw it, there's nothing. Uh, and he's going to get hit in the back of the head. Mm -hmm. He does a nice job retreating, buying time, back foot, makes an impressive throw, and it was a game winner. Uh, on the other side of the ball for the Buffalo Bills, Buck, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of, uh, you know, winning quarterback play and can you get to the quarterback? Mm -hmm. Like that's the, that's the championship mm -hmm. philosophy here. So tell me if you think sacks are an important stat or they're an overrated stat. The number one team in the league in sacks is the Baltimore Ravens. The number two team is the Miami Dolphins. The number three team is the Buffalo Bills. The number four team is the Kansas City Chiefs. And number five team is the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, these are all playoff caliber teams with the top three, Baltimore, Miami, Buffalo. And I would say even though Kansas City is not right right now offensively, their defense has been pretty elite. They have the capability, the ceiling of a quarterback playing at a monster level for a, mm -hmm. a three to four week playoff stretch and a defense that can rush the passer. Those are, those are you know, especially those top three, uh, Baltimore, Miami, Buffalo, those are Super Bowl caliber teams. Yeah, Super Bowl caliber teams. You talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, but yeah, one of the reasons why they're able to hang in every game is because their defense has played lights mm -hmm. out. Uh, when you think about the Buffalo Bills and the other teams that you mentioned, Miami, uh, Baltimore, being able to sack the quarterback. Well, well, DJ, this is a game where we talk about negative plays, splash plays, as Mike Tomlin always likes to talk about. They changed the game because when you hit the quarterback and you knock the quarterback down, a couple of things happen. Not only the negative yards from the sack, but it quickens the clock. A quickened clock leads to hurry throws, errant passes. Those passes eventually are tipped or overthrown. They lead to turnovers. And so it all works together. The pressure from the front line, whether it's you bring in second level defenders, whatever, if you get pressure on the quarterback, it increases your opportunity to get turnovers and to change the game. And you have to be able to do it. And the teams that don't have the ability to knock the quarterback down, you're going to have a hard time staying in the tournament for the long term because you, you're not going to generate enough negative plays to win. No question. Um, and that is a, a team in Buffalo that's done it. The Baltimore Ravens, they're at the top. Them and the Miami Dolphins, one and two in that category, going to score off this week. Uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, Browns, Texans. Joe Flacco, he's rolling. Somehow, you know the Browns are one of three teams still alive for the number one seed in the tournament. I mean, what a testament to how... The, how how well-rounded this roster is, how dominant this defensive front mm -hmm. has been. Jim Schwartz doing a great job there on the defensive side of the ball. Miles Garrett having a defensive player of the year type year. Uh, but Joe Flacco stepping in and, and not only saving the season, Buck, making them a dangerous team. 
Yeah, making him a dangerous team. And look, I'll say this. Joe Flacco has been able to make them dangerous despite having an issue with his own turnovers. Like, he turns the ball over, but his aggressiveness in the passing game forces you to defend every area of the field. It is loosened up the, the, the block that teams had on the running game because now you've really got to uh, back up because Joe Flacco will take those shots. And if you don't, if you're stubborn, he will go to Amari Cooper over and over and over again. Amari Cooper had over 250 yards, maybe 265 yards, some ridiculous number uh, catching the ball. And it's because Joe Flacco is willing to let it go. And as teams are preparing for the Browns, they have to prepare for a different version of the Browns. And I'll be honest, this version is even different than the version that we saw with Deshaun Watson. And so Kevin Stefanski has been able to aggressively use back pages of the playbook to allow this team to be more aggressive. They've scored more. And with the defense that they have, if they can put a 14 spot on you and allow Miles Garrett and company to begin to harass the quarterback, the turnovers begin to come in bunches. And that's when they go from good to great. One of the things I love, I love when you have an offensive head coach with a dominant defense, because so many times when you have a defensive head coach with a dominant defense, they tell the offense, hey, don't screw up, don't turn it over, we're gonna keep the mm -hmm. score down, we're gonna win 13 to 10. Whereas an offensive coach with a dominant defense says, you know what, our defense can bail us out. Let's play aggressive, let's go out there and chase points. Even if we make some mistakes, our defense is gonna be able to back us up. Maybe they'll get, you know, force a field goal, they'll get off the field. But let's play aggressive because we can live with some turnovers, but let's go out there and try and chase points knowing our defense has our back. It's two totally different philosophies. But, you know, I think back to, mm -hmm. um, you know, look at it, where the 49ers are right now. Obviously, they have a dominant defense and they've played mm -hmm. that way. Uh, but you've got an offense and Kyle Shannon said, look, let's go be aggressive. Hey, if we if we make a mistake, we make a mistake. Our defense will have our back. I, I just love that combination and that formula. Well, here's what I love from the Cleveland Browns, like the offensive head coach being aggressive, defensive head coach being aggressive. But DJ, there's a toughness that this team has. And I'm not talking about the physical toughness. I'm talking about the mental toughness to not collapse when you lose all your quarterbacks, to not collapse when you lose uh, an NFL rushing leader in Nick Chubb, to not collapse when you have injuries on the offensive line, to not worry about all that and to keep playing. This team has 10 wins. And if you think about the list of injuries and you think about other teams around the league who have offered up every excuse as to why they're not able to be in the hunt and those things, to me, it is the resilience. It's the gritty mindset that somebody has said, Kevin Stefanski, Jim Swartz, it, it runs throughout the locker room that they didn't collapse when all of us on the outside world were like, ah, oh, there's no ch chance that the Cleveland Browns are going to be able to do it. They're like, no, they figured it out. And now in figuring it out, they've become a team that's really dangerous. I'm going to be honest with you, DJ. I know Joe Flacco is 38, but this team is more dangerous now than they were at any point during the season. And I think when we kind of ask some of these teams who we may not want to face off with, I certainly don't want to face up with the Cleveland Browns because the defense is legit. And as long as Joe Flacco is pushing the envelope like he has, they have a chance to knock off anybody in that AFC playoff field. Yeah, and I, I always said this too, when you get to quarterbacks in the postseason, it's about ceiling, it's not about floor. A floor can get you through the regular season. A floor, a high floor can help mm -hmm. you win double-digit games. When you get in the tournament, it's about can you elevate and can you elevate for three to four weeks? That's it. And that's what Joe Flacco has already done the first Super Bowl that he won. Wasn't like he was this, you know, unbelievable quarterback throughout the whole season. He was unbelievable for a month. That's all you need. It's about the ceiling. It's not about the floor. Um, I mean, it, it, am I, it, you tell me if I'm wrong there, Buck, but that's what I've always believed.
No, because in the in in the playoffs, and as we get into the playoffs and begin to have these discussions, DJ, the microscope then goes to the quarterback because the teams are even. Now it's all good teams in the tournament vying for the title. And so the the separating factor is the level of the quarterback. Can the quarterback take his game up a notch and lead the team and the offense to higher heights? And so when we talk about Joe Flacco and how he elevated during that Super Bowl run with the Baltimore Ravens, where I think he had 11 touchdowns and only one interception, and he made play after play after play. Well, that experience matters. And that experience not only matters for him, but it matters for those around him. We always talk about how the quarterback is a force multiplier. And you and I have talked about how the one thing that a franchise quarterback, a a true legitimate elite franchise quarterback can do, he inspires hope. Well, when they know that that quarterback has a higher ceiling, not the floor, a high ceiling where he can do Mm -hmm. it in a three or four game stretch, where everyone begins to believe that those Super Bowl dreams can become a reality. Yeah, no question. Um, I'll tell you what, the Browns, it's going to be an interesting team if they get uh, when they get into the tournament and who they match up with. Uh, their former quarterback, by the way, once upon a time, the number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield. Um, he is with the Bucs. You got to see them uh, see them and him up close and personal. Uh, it's been a little bit of a free fall for your Jags uh, on the call for those games, Buck. But uh, let's start on the other side, first of all, here with the Bucs and the run they've been on. Okay, so here's the funny thing. Not only about the free fall for the Jags, but I think, DJ, every team, in the playoff field has undergone some kind of skid, right? You think about the Buffalo Bills, I think four Mm. weeks ago, we were saying it was all over. Like they were talking about Sean McDermott and those things. You you think about uh, Philadelphia lost three in a row. San Francisco lost three in a row. So that's kind of a part of the deal. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think at one point, lost six of seven games before going on this recent (laughs) four-game win streak. So, so when we think about it, that has to be a part of your DNA. And the teams that can hold it together, when they come on the other side, man, they're the ones that have enough of that, that grit and resilience to know that, hey, we've been through the bad moments, we can get to it. And I say all that to say that Baker Mayfield is the perfect quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at this moment. All of the adversity that he faced going from Cleveland to Carolina to the Rams to now landing in Tampa Bay has made him, I would say, a different quarterback. The quarterback that I watch on the field mature, tough, never lost his confidence. But DJ, what he made was what I call grown man plays. Uh, Fourth and short, having to scramble. He'll stick his nose in there and get it. Uh, They're trying to pressure him, people right in his face. He throws a dart to Mike Evans. And what you see is, man, when the team loves the quarterback, it changes. There's a genuine affinity from the Buccaneers players to Baker Mayfield. He's ingratiated himself to the team. He still has the swag. He's still super competitive. He has all of that other stuff. But to me, I feel like the winding road has kind of taught him how to be a better teammate. This is a dude that makes the Buccaneers dangerous. On defense, they're high pressure. They come after it. But the weapons on the outside on offense, Godwin and Evans with Baker Mayfield being able to get the ball out of his hands in this version of an offense that was very similar to what he ran in L.A., yeah, this, this is a tough team to deal with. Watching it up close and personal, yeah, Baker Mayfield and the Bucks are, are hand-filled. Yeah, this is the best year of his career. You know, you think about the year he had uh, with the Browns, his best year there actually has the same numbers as he has right now in terms of almost identical in terms of uh, yards, uh, touchdowns, interceptions. 26 touchdowns, 8 picks. Uh, this was 2020. Uh, this year, 26 touchdowns, 8 picks, almost identical. 
That was 16 games. He had 35, 63 yards. He's got 35, 98 now. So he's still got two more games to go. So he's going to eclipse all those numbers. But really playing the best ball of his career. And you touched on the teammate thing. Remember with Odell and all the drama that, that existed there and how ugly that got towards mm-hmm. the end of his time there in Cleveland? Mm-hmm. And then he kind of goes mm-hmm. on that, that interesting ride to Carolina and into the Rams for a minute. Uh, he's found a home here in Tampa. And it also shows you the power of belief. When you have the, the confidence of not only your teammates, your coaches, um, even Jason Light, when he's gone on the record, right when they brought him in the building, they they were elated and excited to have him. And I think that's helped him, you know, play loose, play free, play confident, and kind of go back to the, the best version of himself. So good for Baker Mayfield. On the Jag side of things, uh, DJ, help me out here, Buck. What yeah, the DJ, heck is going well, on? Let, let, continue, continue on the thing with, with Baker Mayfield. And this, and this is why. Because we're at a time where we're so hard on young quarterbacks that we're ready to throw them off. And I think the Baker Mayfield journey and odyssey should be something for us to think about when we talk about the 2021 quarterbacks, whether it's Trey Lance or Zach Wilson or Mac Jones or all those guys. Like everyone is going to pour dirt in them and think that it's all over. But how you handle yourself after that first uh, dismissal, man, can go a long way to determining whether you have not only another chance to extend your career, but another chance to be a legitimate high-end starting quarterback. Baker Mayfield learned along the way, and it wasn't perfect. There were some flaws there. There were some hiccups, but... I am telling you that if you can get to the other side, there's something to be said for it. And for a team, there is value in kicking the tires on a high-end quarterback. Because what I can tell you, field level, watching Baker Mayfield, the uh, first-round talent shows up in the way that he spins the ball. So now it's about taking someone Mm -hmm. who has that kind of talent and putting them in the right offense, the right environment with the people around them, with the right set of believers to kind of puff that confidence in them you may get what you thought you were getting when you drafted him. So all is not lost on some of these young quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield is a tale, a a good tale that, hey, you can bounce back for some of these difficult moments early in your career. Well, stay on the quarterback then. Tell me what's going on with Trevor. Uh, You're there every week. What are you seeing? Look, man, when I look at the Jaguars every week, here's what I would say, DJ. I just mentioned all those teams that have had losing skids and all those other things. I think what happens in those moments, the true character of the team is revealed. And so no one is going to help you get to the other side. You have to kind of dig down deep. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with how you're playing, how everyone else around you is playing. And then you have to fix it. I will say Trevor is struggling, but he's struggling not only because of his own things with injuries and turnovers and look, a a shaky offensive line, receivers in and out of the lineup, all of that stuff is going on. I would say that there is a lack of confidence right now because you lost four in a row and you're trying to figure out how can you get a win. And it will turn around for Trevor and for everybody else when they just keep the main things the main thing. Just do the simple plays really, really well. So if you just, hey, let's just make sure we get out the huddle on time, get lined up, run to play, make sure everyone knows exactly who they're blocking, let's block them, and then start stacking wins. For Trevor, I will say I have more admiration for him this year than any other year because it's been really, really tough. But each and every week, he asks for the ball and he takes the, the start. And so there's some things that he can clean up. The toughness is there. Now it's about making sure that you get the execution up to the level so you can kind of lead your team to wins. But he's doing what a lot of young people try and do. He's trying to do it all on his own. And once he kind of realizes less is more, let me dial back. Let me just stay within the framework of the offense. Let me make the simple plays, the routine plays. Then the other plays will come. And look, man, there's still two games left. They have enough time to get into the tournament. A lot of it is, can Trevor reset himself? 
and then reset the team and get them to believe that they still can go out and win. And this is why you know we've been doing this for a long time. We've been friends for a long time because you literally went the direction I was going to go. Rookie year, 17 starts. Second year, 17 starts. This year, he started all 15 games through a whole host of injuries he's battled through this year. Just the ability to post uh, what that means to his teammates. To me, while you might not be excited about what the building looks like uh, for Trevor right now, maybe there's uh, <laughs> there's some uh, there's some drywall that needs to be patched. Maybe we got a little something going on with mm -hmm. the roof. But he is solidifying his foundation with, with the organization just by posting, just by going out there and playing when everybody in that building, and maybe not na uh, nationally it's understood what he's dealing with. You would know. You're mm -hmm. there each and every week. But to me, I think there is value, and I do think that pours more concrete in the foundation of his career. Yeah, I think so. D uh, DJ, like, we always talk about it. Um, we come from an era in terms of, like, scouting where, man, a franchise quarterback takes the ball every week. This is what it is. Ben Roethlisberger, mm -hmm. Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, they, they take the ball every week. When you – it's not baseball. You don't do your lineup card. But when you fill it in, QB1 is always there. Trevor Lawrence has shown that he'll do that. Whether it's a knee injury, shoulder injury, concussion, he shows up every week. And so that toughness is there. Now it's about taking that toughness, that dependability, that reliability, and just, look, helping him help others. So figure out what the quarterback does well, figure out what he's comfortable with, continue to talk to him through those game management situations and allow him to slowly build up his own confidence and the confidence of others by playing well. If they get to the other side of this, if Trevor gets to the other side of this, it will unlock the potential of the team. It's just a matter, are you tough enough to get to the other side? That's what everyone has to wait and see over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and again, not, uh, not where they want to be right now in terms of how they're playing, but just get into the tournament, and this is a quarterback. When we talk about ceiling, and that's been kind of the word of the day, Trevor still has a very high ceiling. Hopefully he gets healthy, uh, Jags get right, they get into the tournament, and we see the best of Trevor Lawrence once we get to the postseason. All right, we covered a lot of ground on some big games uh, today. Hope you have enjoyed this episode. I know you're probably asking, what, what the heck? Well, you guys didn't talk about the uh, the Chiefs and the Raiders? Well, we saved that. We want to have a little bit longer discussion on that one. We will have that posted for you tomorrow, uh, so be on the lookout for that. All right, that's going to do it for us today, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.